Hi, and welcome to Filled with His Love. I've titled today's little discussion, Unity and Attachment. When I was serving as a stake president for a young married student stake, I visited elders quorums and invited them to ask questions about things that concerned them. In one of those visits, an elder raised his hand, and I, th- I think he was asking me a question he thought I could not answer. He asked, so, President, so here's what I want to know. If you have a decision to make as a couple, and you pray about it, and your wife prays about it, and you come up with opposite conclusions, then which one do you go with? What impression do you go with? He thought he had asked a question that was impossible, but it wasn't impossible. I looked back at him and I said, it's simple. You do nothing. You do nothing until you come into total agreement. And then another elder asked, but what what about compromise? Can't you compromise with each other? Shouldn't you just compromise so that you come to some middle ground or something like that? I said, you know, compromise is what governments do. Compromise is what Democrats and Republicans do. That is not what an eternal marriage is. A marriage is a unifying process where you become one with each other and with God. We had a fascinating discussion that day in that elders' quorum about how to reach unity with a spouse, how to become one with God and with each other. Those who have a pattern of insecure attachment struggle with unity, struggle in finding unity. An anxious spouse may yield to the wishes of another spouse without feeling that the decision is the correct one. The anxious person does not want to offend, so they go along with someone even when they don't agree. The anxious person worries about rejection, so they simply go along. The avoidant spouse may do whatever he or she wants without ever discussing it. Avoidant individuals not only avoid other people, they avoid engaging in conversations that could lead them to do something they don't want to do. Avoidant people want to go it alone. They're not interested in finding unity. They trust themselves so much, too much actually, that they know their way is the right way. I was rereading a talk of President Nelson's the other day, and here's an excerpt that nearly jumped off the page at me. We all recognize that the 15 brethren we sustain as prophets, seers, and revelators are not carbon copies of each other. They are unique individuals with personalities of their own. They grew up in different kinds of families, some with less active parents, others with devoted parents. They pursued different kinds of careers and lived in different parts of the country. I have had the privilege of interacting with all who now serve in the Twelve and First Presidency. I've seen most of them in informal as well as formal settings, and I can attest to the fact that they each have unique characteristics. So the following quote from President Nelson becomes even more powerful. Here is what he said about how the meetings of the Twelve and First Presidency go. The excerpt comes from his talk entitled Revelation for the Church, Revelation for Our Lives, given in April of 2018. Here's the quote. President Nelson says, In our meetings, the majority never rules! We listen prayerfully to one another and talk with each other until we are united. Then, when we have reached complete accord, the unifying influence of the Holy Ghost is spine-tingling. Again, exclamation point. 
We experience what the Prophet Joseph Smith knew when he taught, quote, By union of feeling, we obtain power with God. End quote. No member of the First Presidency or Quorum of the Twelve would ever leave decisions for the Lord's Church to his own best judgment. I want to unpack this quote a little bit. When he says, the majority never rules, he's making the same point I made with the elders in that meeting. We don't aim for a compromise in our relationships. Whatever good relationship it is, marriage or friend or whatever. Compromise means some people get some of what they want and others get some of what they want, but nobody gets all that they want. Government in a democracy is like this. The Democrats bend a little, then the Republicans bend a little, and then the final outcome is often disappointing to everyone. Or worse yet, they, did in their, they dig in their heels and never come to agreement on any aspect of the legislation and end in stalemate. Total discord, complete disagreement. When President Nelson says, quote, we talk with each other until we are united, end quote, he again is saying what I said to my elders quorum. If you disagree with your wife on a decision, keep talking, keep trying to see the other's point of view, try to understand each other rather than attempting to get your own way. That's one reason some decisions in the church take so long. The brethren want to consider every possible outcome of a decision. They want to be certain that their decision is in harmony with the Lord's will. And they know that it's not going to be in harmony with the Lord's will unless they're in harmony with each other. So then when complete accord is reached, as President Nelson said, quote, the unifying influence of the Holy Ghost is spine-tingling. That same feeling can come between a husband and wife, between a parent and child, or between a Relief Society president and her counselors. The Prophet Joseph's teaching is absolutely profound. Quote, by union of feeling, we obtain power with God. Think of it. If a husband and wife are at odds over a decision, how can they feel God's confirming influence? They can't. The more they draw away from each other, the more they draw away from God. When we find unity, we feel God's presence in our life. Our attachment to Him grows stronger, and our attachment to each other also grows stronger. We often see some decisions as unimportant, so we don't pay the price to find unity. But the decisions we make in our homes are of utmost importance. These decisions are all relational decisions. The process we use to make decisions is perhaps more consequential than the outcome of the decision itself. If we lose patience with one another as we're trying to decide how to help one of our children, we can hurt one another in the process even though we're trying to do a good thing by helping our child. If we do that good thing in a haphazard, ineffective way, we can hurt our marriage relationship or the relationship we have with the child we're trying to help. So I will come back to that elders quorum. When we receive different impressions about a direction we should take, either as family members or as church leaders, we should wait. We should keep talking, keep listening, especially listening, keep understanding, 
trying to see things from the other person's point of view until we come to complete accord, until we are both equally excited and supportive of the decision we're trying to make. Then unity will come. And unity is just another way of saying secure attachment. So I hope that if you are in the throes of making decisions in your families or with friends, for that matter, or in church callings, I hope that you'll take some of this to heart and practice finding unity. Practice listening to one another, looking through the other's eyes to see their point of view, trying to understand why they see something differently than you do. It's perfectly fine that we see things differently. That's the beauty of mortality, actually. We're not carbon copies of each other. We see things differently. And so to find unity, we need to talk, we need to listen, and we need to pray and listen to what the Lord would have us do. I know that if we do that, that unity will come. And as Joseph said, when that power of unity comes, then we draw closer to God. I hope to see you next time. I hope you'll share this with someone if you feel like they need it too.